Any questions this morning? Sounds like there's two questions. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh-huh. the, there's two questions. The first, I'll do one at a time. The first is about um, recognizing. Can't hear. Is this one? Can you hear? The question is about noting. Where would the mind be if one wasn't noting? Um, If you think of the word noting as noticing, you know, that that's the noting is a help for us to notice what's happening. Um, The mind could be (laughs) anywhere, you know, it's usually wandering if we're not noticing what's happening. If we're not, we're usually lost in the past thinking or lost in the future, and we're really not usually recognizing what's happening in the present moment. But um, what do you, what do you... Uh, I, I've often heard what it, it can be used as an option. You don't have to be noticing. Uh, I right. the recognition of the... the, the if you're not using the tool of the mental noting, meaning that, say, you're reaching for the door. You can make a mental note reaching and then be aware of the experience of reaching. The note is supposed to help us actually be with the experience. It's supposed to help us notice what's happening. Uh, There are times in the practice where the awareness is so strong that the noting would actually get in the way. The word, the words rising or falling or hearing, uh, the awareness is so sharp that if you made that note, that word would actually get in the way of the experience. Then it's not helpful to note because it's interrupting the flow of being able to notice. But often um, there are times when we're really not there and we don't tend to like to use the noting because um, it's kind of cumbersome. It's kind of gross in a way, you know, to note, to be noting reaching or stepping or thinking. Uh, But it's actually, for us, when we're not able to notice very well, this is a tool to help us be with the experience. 
If it's getting mechanical, for example, that's another reason why one would drop it for a while, because it's just, you can be noting, instead of rising, falling, it could be, you know, um, thinking. You know, if you're noting (laughs) and you can see that the note isn't helping because it's so mechanical or left, right, stepping, stepping, um, when it's going like that, it's helpful to drop it and to see if you can be with the experience in a fresh way. The idea is to be with our experience and anything that can help us do it is great. The second question, um, I think you'll have to tell, I've never read that book, so I don't know what the signs mean, the meditative signs. I don't know. Pardon? Uh-huh. Being aware that death can happen at any moment is a help in terms of staying awake. Um, I realize that at the time that we're in, in this retreat, we really don't have that much time left. And sometimes that um, pressure, that outer pressure, can help, help us stay more awake. The time evaporates as we get closer to the end. It's amazing how quickly it can tend to go, even though some days will seem slow. Try to keep the balance of knowing that death can happen at any moment and really doing your best to stay awake here and liberate yourself as fully as you can and relaxing into the present moment. It's not an easy balance, um, but the time is evaporating. We don't have that much time together left. so. Um, keep going. Kelly. 
Happy Thanksgiving. Any questions? And the question is, um, if I think of Jesus as another one of the Buddhas, does that fit with Buddhist thought? I guess it depends on whose thought <laughs> you would depend on <laughs> here. Um, if you take the context of Buddhist cosmology, for example, that I was talking about last night, where there's 31 planes of existence and human beings are fifth from the bottom. Uh, there's, in the Buddhist cosmology, there's many divine beings. And there's all of the devas, there's six planes of existence just with uh, beings of light and many, many realms of different beings of light. And then there's um, the 20 realms of the gods which are divine beings, and they live so long. They live for eons. Uh, there's a sense of these are eternal. They think they're eternal because they live so long. But the Buddha thought, uh, taught that they also arise and pass away. Um, so there's a little difference in some of these teachings, these um, religious teachings, but um, there are many great beings that have um, affected people so deeply, whole institutions of religion have been created around them. And so, in the Buddhist cosmology, Jesus would fit in as a great being, <laughs> whether you know, one believes he was a human being that touched the divine and taught through that, or whether he was a divine being that was in a human form. What really matters is if, if there's some way you feel inspired by his teachings, if they, hel if they help you, then that's great. Now, we all have to come to terms with um, the religion we were raised with. And there's ways in which, uh, I think for me, the 
this practice has really helped me come to terms with what I, with a belief system that I was raised with. So it's it's wonderful to be be able to take the goodness of what you've, the relationship you have with Jesus, and and really use it to help you um, develop your own wisdom. I had a student once in Switzerland who, for a month retreat, and the only problem she kept coming into interviews with was saying that, um, is it wrong to pray? You know, and she'd cry and cry and cry, saying you know, that she really wanted to pray to Mary. And I kept saying, if this is your only problem, you know, <laughs> you know really, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, but it was so interesting how she kept feeling like something was wrong. Um, she, you know, she was really trying to integrate that relationship she had with basically compassion, a compassionate being. There are many beings that we don't see around here. question about dealing with memories, but let me set the stage. Uh, with fantasy, Joseph has this uh, little device, a painted tiger or something. It's this monk was in a cave, painted tigers on the wall, and it was so realistic, he became afraid. And this is really nice, and it works very easily with, you can generalize that to all fantasies, no problem. I can't. I just see fantasy. But when we go to memories, there's a little more to it. They're, they're loaded up with some feelings, and uh, it's easy to get caught up in the verification. I can't dismiss it as just painted tiger routine. But deep down, I feel it is just another painted tiger routine. It's just a selected interpretation filtered through my, uh, uh, you know, what, desires or needs or whatever. Could you talk about that? Mm -hmm. The The question is about um, relating to fantasy, as um, Joseph was uh, suggesting to treat a fantasy as a painted tiger. That you know we create this image and then get afraid of it, um, and that's really helpful for him. But with memory. he can't so easily see that as just a painted tiger, but there's a lot of feelings around it that um, come up and are easy to identify with. We can learn a lot um, from being in the present moment and seeing how, if something is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, seeing how we react to that. And any kind of memory that we have, 
um, that repeats, um, if it's sticky for us in any way, if there's any charge around a memory, it means that in the past uh, that experience was pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and we didn't see it clearly. And it will repeat in the present for us so that we have a chance to um, actually experience what happened uh, from a place of mindfulness. And usually it will repeat and repeat and repeat until we see it clearly. Often with, with some memories that are unpleasant, um, you'll see something repeat a lot until you can really actually experience that, what happened from a place of balance. And so say you have the imagery of a cloud coming through the sky, um, whatever is coming in terms of a memory, you can treat it as a cloud coming through. And if there's enough mindfulness, enough seeing clearly in the present moment, um, that experience, you can let it come, let it be, uh, and that experience will come and go by itself. There's no need to work at letting it go, because if there's enough awareness, it'll just come and go, uh, and we'll learn from it. And so there is, <laughs> there is a way in which we're, um, on a deep level, there are many things that'll come through that we'll be repeating and repeating and repeating until we really open to it and see it clearly. It is different, yeah. And if you have memory, um, it's really important to ground the attention in the body because we can get caught in a lot of painted tigers in our head around it, and we can, we can get caught in a lot of fantasy around it. Papancha. The question, did you finish? The question is around um, certain things that do repeat. Um, uh, What what happens if it doesn't stop? You know, the idea is not that things stop, and that's what's really hard for us. We'll, we'll think that we kind of make a bargain with many things where we think, well, I'll experience this, and then it's going to go away. And that's not freedom. Freedom is no matter what appears, and anything can appear, it's being able to see it clearly 
and this and to see if we can um, relate to it with this non-judgmental attention. So it doesn't matter if it comes up again, because we don't have any resistance to it. It's it's okay. Um, so what we're really trying to do is purify our relationship to things. The relationship, um, we might have a relationship of attachment to something or aversion to something. And this practice is one of not purifying the experience so that it doesn't come through ever again, but we, experience, we purify how we relate to it. You know, so whether it's a physical pain or an emotional pain or something pleasurable, um, the idea is, is to um, understand what's happening so it doesn't matter whether it comes back or not. The, in, the, in this Vipassana practice, um, the content will appear, but we hold the content uh, with a non-judgmental attention. You know, it's not that you can get rid of a story, but you, you, your awareness gets bigger than it. You have this space where you see it coming and going. You know, you can see that it's impermanent. You can see that there's no solid, separate self in it. Um, so that it, it might repeat as a story, but we, we drop back and get bigger, of, bit bigger than it and drop into the body so that we can actually find something more tangible to experience than getting lost in a story about it. It's a good question. So we don't have to get rid of anything. It's more that we develop a deep understanding of anicca or dukkha or anatta through the repetition of our endless stories. <laughs> We're not trying to get rid of the stories. We hold them from a different perspective. Have a good day.
My question is um, about sankharas and dhammas. Uh, just you want the definition of sankharas and dhammas. Sankharas are formations. Um, for example, when one explains impermanence, there are supposed to be, um, or, or when we explain dukkha, meaning that there's very little control, anything can happen in this world. There's dukkha dukkha, anicca dukkha, and sankara dukkha. Sankara dukkha is the most difficult to understand and to see clearly. It's the um, suffering and formations themselves. So um, when you look at your moment-to-moment experience, there's when you look at just the momentary contact, the very bare, bare, bare sensations, it's like there's formations arising and passing away on a very, very deep level uh, that are um, happening, coming out of lifetimes. They're appearing in the present moment. Uh, but anything that happens in the present moment, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, is determined by a past intention, you know, the, the karma. It's the fruit of an, in, of an action that comes out of an intention. So these sankharas, formations, uh, are appearing and disappearing uh, from a very deep level and very quickly. They're very, they're very hard. It's very hard to see that on such a deep level. Um, are you asking about dharma or dhammas? Uh, pardon? Smaldi. Uh, I would just define dhammas as reali- any, anything that's real. You know, it's... it's um, for example, um, earth element, fire element, air element, water element, that's uh, a, a level of reality that the Buddha <coughs> described as dhammas, as, as, as a form of reality, instead of uh, anything conceptual isn't really a reality. It's, it's not something that you can see that's existing, that's real. And the second part of the question, um, could you repeat it? Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure why a distinction is made mm-hmm. between Sankara and Dhamma. But that's why I wanted to know the definition. Okay. <laughs> um, I was going to skip that part. Okay. Dhammas include Nibbana. Nibbana is a form of reality as well as um, like the elements that are, we can notice. Um, so the Nibbana doesn't include Sankaras. Right. <laughs> so all sankharas are dhammas, but there's a few dhammas that aren't sankharas. <laughs> None of the dhammas have self. Is that? Yeah. Nibbana, 
um, is a very free place. I mean, that's all you need to know. It's a, it's a complete letting go. It, and it's a, it's a reality. The Buddha described it as something that we can touch into. It's the deepest truth. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about hair and body and paint and body where it comes from perhaps or um, when you work with it does it break up and release does it stay The question is about terror and um, coming from the body. Um, when we open to it, does it disappear? Does it stay there? What was the third part? Does it, yeah, do, do, is it something that you just live with? And it's just kind of there. When you open to it, do you have an understanding of of the cause? When you open to the tarot, do you have an understanding of the cause? And when it's there, is it just there all the time? And do you live with it? One of the beauties of the Vipassana practice is um, its purity and its simplicity. So on a moment-to-moment experience, you can see that sometimes there'll be the experience of fear and sometimes there isn't. So we don't try to make a solid, fixed idea behind anything, meaning that you wouldn't say that fear is there all the time. Sometimes fear will appear. You know, if you think of the mind as this vast blue sky, you wouldn't say that fear was there all the time. There can be like a cloud passing through the sky, this appearance in the mind of fear, and it arises, and we can either uh, push it away, or we can identify with it and believe that it's inherently real, or we can open up to the experience as physical sensations, noting it as fear, and see if we can learn how to experience fear when it arises, when the cloud comes, and to let it be. And when we can really let it be, it'll just, it'll just pass away by itself. That doesn't mean that 10 minutes later the experience of fear might appear again, or one minute later, or 10 years later. Um, but in, in this practice, we're not seeing that we're working anything out as much as when an experience of fear happens, you would treat it equally as with the sound of a bird or with the sound of the heat in the room. You know, it's a, the sound of the heat is like a cloud that passes through the mind and fear will pass through the mind. Sometimes there are experiences that happen in meditation that are so deep, there's a, in terms of sankharas, there's a clearing 
there's a movement of arising and passing that's so deep, we'll have no idea what, where it comes from. You know, so for example, you might have, a, have some moments where you're really deeply crying, and there's absolutely no idea where it's coming from. It could come from ten lifetimes ago. Uh, so in this practice, again, the purity is just being able to notice, oh, it's just sadness. There's no need to try to figure it out, to get rid of it. It's just coming and going. And the, it's, the whole practice is changing how we're relating to the sankharas arising and passing. Uh, we're not identifying with them as me or I or mine. They're inherently empty. Um, so sometimes we will have an idea where, where it comes from. We might have a memory it from this lifetime where uh, we might have solidified around an experience, an unpleasant experience, or a deeply unpleasant experience, and it'll be like a piece of a puzzle uh, gets into place. We really understand, oh, on a psychological level, we understand, oh, that's what happened. And sometimes if something has been really repressed or denied, it's really helpful to first know that it happened. We believe the story. There'll be content that happens. We believe it, which helps us open to the experience. And then we can let it go. We can let go of the story. So there's a lot of different levels to sankharas and how they manifest. Empty sankharas rolling along. One of the reasons why enlightenment or nibbana is um, talked about in such a positive light is that there's this deep freedom from um, past. You know, it's like there's a touching into a reality that's deeper, deeper than time itself. Pardon? How do you know what? In other words, the clear scene. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that intuitively somehow? That you know, what I'm seeing is is accurate. The, in seeking the heart of wisdom, there was a line from some song about uh, a four-line poem. Uh, Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree sees the morning star, becomes enlightened. He absolutely believed this. Eyes, his ears, his nose, his tongue. Is it just a, an intuitive feeling that you, you have when uh, you are clear, seeing clearly? Say, um, the question is about how do you know that you're seeing clearly? Is it intuitive feeling? Um, say you're sitting here and you decide to be aware of hearing, and you, you notice hearing. And you hear the sound, and you, you really, with the direct experience, rather than getting lost in the thoughts, it's pretty clear. You'll, you'll have a pretty clear sense that you're aware of hearing. 
um, and there won't be any doubt about it. Um, so that's, that's seeing clearly. It's being able to see the nature of reality. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's, it's, you just know, you know without having to go through the thought process. There's a great um, saying, I'm not sure who said it, but once you have seen the peach blossoms, there's nothing left to doubt. Touching, you know, the more we touch into the purity of the awareness itself, that's what we're doing. We're starting to be able to tune into an observing quality that's very, very pure, that's non-judgmental. It's not something that's far away for you. Anytime that you have a moment of mindfulness where there's a non-judgmental attention that's not tying into experience, not identified, that's a very pure moment. You know, that's you don't have to wait for 20 years for this. It, it happens anytime. You just really let go of the past or the future and see clearly. That, that's, what, um, that's, what, that's what brings us to the practice, is being able to touch into that purity. And then there's just deeper and deeper levels of tuning into that purity. And it's inherent in, inside of us. It's not something outside of us. That's why it's um, such a wonderful practice. Have a good day. Do you have any questions about your practice? The question <clears throat> is about hindrances and <clears throat> his relationship to them. He can see that um, by paying attention to them, uh, he can shift his relationship to the hindrances. But where do they come from in the first place? Uh, is that what? Is that about it? Okay. <clears throat> One time when I was having an interview with Upandita, we were talking about delusion, 
And he asked me, well, how, how strong do you think delusion is, really? <laughs> and I said, well, probably, you know, taller than a mountain, you know, just miles, miles, miles high. And he liked the answer, you know. <laughs> the amount of delusion that we've been going through lifetime after the lifetime after the lifetime, which means not seeing clearly, is is very thick. It's very great. Uh, so the, the hindrances are just basically um, what per, they're, they're like obstacles to inner peace. But the way to work with them isn't, isn't trying to get rid of them as much as just to see them clearly and understand. And so in the moment of seeing a hindrance clearly or seeing the sensation clearly, there's no problem. There's no problem with, you know, that there's sleepiness or that there's restlessness or aversion or greed or doubt because we just see it clearly. It doesn't matter where it comes from, ultimately. It, just, it comes out of delusion. It comes out of not seeing clearly. As you can see, when you don't see clearly, it leads to a whole <laughs> series of minutes or hours uh, of not seeing clearly. And when you see clearly in that moment, it cuts it. It's, it's extraordinary, the power of mindfulness. The question is about working with anger. Sometimes it comes up and we see it clearly and it lasts a few seconds and disappears. And then other times it can last a whole day. Uh, and why, why is that? There's a lot of levels to the purification process. And so we try to remember that it's really not what's happening that matters, but how we're relating to what happens. Uh, So if we have a model that we're going to look at something like fear or anger, and then that should go away, 
for the rest of the day because we looked at it that one moment, it sets up this whole expectation and model um, where we're bound to suffer. And, and, you know, that's one of the most striking things in listening to people over the years for me is to hear, you know, when we think, oh, I thought I worked that out ten years ago. You know, I thought I worked that out last sitting. Any kind of thought like that is an indication that um, we have aversion to what's happening rather than mindfulness where uh, an equanimity Equanimity is that ability to be okay with however, whatever's there. So essentially, it doesn't matter if we're experiencing a sound or anger. If it's what's arising, then we just look at it. Uh, and if we're, we were mindful of it once, it doesn't mean that two seconds later it's not going to arise again, because that's a different moment. Uh, I think you can see that with some moments of anger, when we'll really have this deep acceptance of it, see it clearly, and it'll pass. Maybe it's easier to explain this with, say, a physical sensation such as uh, burning in the knee or the lower back. Uh, We might be able to see that clearly many times in a sitting, but you know that moment where the mindfulness or the equanimity disappears and it's back to my, my pain and I want to get rid of it, but the, the beginning of the sitting, it was fine. And that's how it can be with anger, that we'll be okay with it, we'll see it clearly, and then there'll be a certain moment where it might come up and it's not okay. Why it happens, why, why it can be a whole day of it, is sometimes it can be that there's a story that's repeating, uh, and we really haven't accepted that the story happened, that that event happened. And uh, the story repeating will indicate that we're still still caught. And there's there's so many deep layers of purification, so there there are some what I call karmic knots that will repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Uh, And it's just a matter of just learning how to accept and accept and accept and accept and let it come and go, let it come and go. Uh, And the indication if we're free or not is if it comes up and we go, oh no, (laughs) I got rid of that whether it's a physical pain or an emotional pain, if we think, oh no, I got rid of that, that is, that's identification, that's, that's not freedom. So some things are, there are some deeper, deeper purifications that are happening where the things will really um, be like a cloud front that comes into New England. Like in Hawaii, the, the clouds move pretty quickly if they come, but in New England a, a, a front will come in and it'll last some days and you think it's never going to end. Sometimes that's how karmic knots appear. It's not a picky question. It can be either. Yeah. 
And the question is about um, how to work with a storm front that does come, or anything. Or anything. Uh, so much of what I see we need to do at the beginning is, is to recognize it, see it, try to see it clearly, and then to see if we can accept that it's present. You know, because if, the, if there's resistance, then one has to work with the resistance. One can't get to what's happening through the resistance. So it's to notice if we're accepting and re- or resisting, and then if we're resisting, it's okay. If we can't be with it, it's okay. You try to be with not, not being able to be with it. That's okay, too. It's, it's to just be able to see where we are. And if you can be with it, you, you do it. If you can't, you back up. And then, it, then if there's acceptance, you know, just enjoy the show. You let it come and go, and you see out of that experience of acceptance that there's nobody behind it, because you see that if you can let it be, it'll just have a life of its own, and it comes and goes, whether it's the most wonderful, blissful experience or a nightmare. It's okay. It just moves through, and it's not ours. easier said than done. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.